family here. Praise the Lord. Now can you hear? Okay, good. Second Timothy is where we're going to be this evening. We're continuing on a series entitled, What in the World? What in the world's going on? Have you noticed that things seem a little crazy out there? If you haven't, you've got your head buried in the sand because the world is being turned upside down rather quickly. However, Christians ought not be surprised because this turning upside down is prophesied a long, long time ago. So we're going to look at just a little sneak peek of that. What I was impressed with is as I read through this passage here recently, I looked at it a little bit like, here's what the world is like. Look, look out there. It's just describing all these things. Let me read it for you. In 2 Timothy 3, beginning of verse 2, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. My, doesn't that aptly describe our world today? They are going as far away from anything good and godly that they can. But that shouldn't surprise us, and quite frankly, it shouldn't discourage us a whole lot. So what's the real warning here to you and to me? The real warning is that that nature that we just described here is not staying on the outside of the church walls. These these things are infiltrating the church, the church family, the church of God, the body of Christ. We who are to purely reflect the nature of our loving Lord are more and more, categorically anyway, beginning to reflect what's going on in the world in the end times. Perilous times shall come. Tonight we're going to look at three words, boasters, proud, blasphemers. But we need the Lord's help, so let's bow for prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your love and your blessing, and thank you for this time. My heart's been encouraged by the songs tonight, singing together, and I'm so grateful. Lord, a place where we can get together and enjoy one another's fellowship. Thank you. Thank you for these dear believers who, who came back tonight. Lord, I pray that you might reward each one. I pray, Lord, that you might meet with us and give us what we need tonight, for we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first of all, in the last days, the perilous days, men shall be boasters. The word boasters, interestingly, comes from a Greek word, eleison, which meant not much to me, but it means vagrancy. It's where we get the English word ale. Suggested here is a loud, boisterous drunk bragging to others. Boaster. In Psalm 52, 1, it says, To the chief musician, masculine, 
a psalm of David when Doeg the Edomite, remember him? When Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul and said unto him, David is come to the house of Ahimelech. David writes, Why boastest thou thyself in mischief, O mighty man? The goodness of God endureth continually. Thy tongue deviseth mischiefs like a sharp razor working deceitfully. Thou lovest evil more than good and lying rather than to speak righteousness. Selah. Why are you boasting about mischief, O mighty man, O Doeg? Well, because Ahimelech the priest had given aid to David, when David was fleeing from Saul, Doeg would eventually kill him and his family, the other priests, and all in the priest village of Nob, even though none of the rest of the Saul's army would. Doeg said, I'll do it. None of the rest said, we're not going to touch him. But Doeg said, I'll do it. In 1 Samuel 22, beginning verse 16, And the king said, Thou shalt surely die, Ahimelech, thou and all thy father's house. And the king said unto the footmen that stood about him, Turn and slay the priests of the Lord. Can you imagine the audacity? Can you imagine? This big conference, a bunch of preachers there. He says, All right, pull out your swords and kill all the preachers. Turn and slay the priests of the Lord, because their hand also was with David, and because they knew when he fled, and did not show it unto me. But the servants of the king would not put forth their hand to fall upon the priests of the Lord. And the king said to Doeg, Turn thou and fall upon the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned, and he fell upon the priests, and slew on that day fourscore and five persons that did wear a linen ephod. That's eighty-five priests. And Nob, the city of the priests, smote he with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and sucklings, and oxen and asses and sheep with the edge of the sword. Doeg gave to Saul David's location, opening him up for Saul's attack. And Doeg, in order to impress Saul, killed all the priests and then killed everyone and every living thing in their, in their village. I read an article, and I did not catch the date of the article, but it's from Pakistan. It reads, From behind the steel bars of his jail cell, Mohammed Ishmael described with uncanny ease how he shot and killed his wife, his mother-in-law, and sister-in-law. I made sure they were all dead. Then I locked the door and left the house. Without any apparent regret, Ishmael said that he would do it again. I'm proud of what I did. That's why I turned myself over to the police. Ishmael's confession to the triple murder that took place last February in a village in central Pakistan is a rare and chilling first-hand account of a so-called honor killing, the murder of women who are usually accused of dishonoring their families by being unfaithful or disobedient. Ishmael accused his wife of eight months of repeatedly flirting with other men and spending long hours away from home. My wife never made me happy said the 20-year-old who played drums in a traditional Pakistani wedding band before his arrest. The Human Rights Commission of Pakistan reported 943 women were killed in the name of honor in Pakistan last year, an increase of more than 100 from 2010. 
Now, we Christians, we'd never boast over something like that. We see the horrific nature of such a gross, gross sin. But how strongly might we defend our hatred for someone who hurt us or someone we loved? In Matthew 5, 21, ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. Jesus said, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Is it possible that the world is infecting the church, but we've glossed it up so much we don't recognize it? We've polished it so neatly that those same gross, wicked sins of the world have been brought into the church and as much as welcomed. In Daniel 4, we're reminded of a man named Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. <clears throat> and we know that God condemned him to seven years acting like an animal and eating grass in the field. Following those seven years, he wrote in Daniel 4.17, the same man writes, This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that, listen, that the living may know that the Most High, referring to Jehovah God, ruleth in the kingdom of man, and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the basest of men. I'd say that old Nebuchadnezzar had been through a revolution. <laughs> He's changed. He's been humbled. What we see here is boasting not of murderous pride like this Pakistani young man. Not like the one who gets angry at somebody else. Jesus condemned that as murder. No, this is, this is different. This is self-reliant pride. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't mad when he said, look what I've done. Nebuchadnezzar was quite pleased with himself. In Luke chapter 10, verse 13, Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which had been done unto you, they had a great while ago repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Now these cities are where Jesus performed many miracles. Yet they continued on in their pride and disbelief. There's a picture of believers who witnessed the wonderful grace and provision of God in their lives only to pridefully boast of their own accomplishments. Look what I have done. I, wrote, I read, Lord Bacon told Sir Edward Cook when he boasted, the less you speak of your greatness, the more I shall think of it. I like that. Boasting. In the last days, there will be perilous times, a time of boasting. Secondly, it'll be a time of pride. Now, obviously, those two are very interconnected. I see a contrast here between humility and pride in the 
sweet story of Mary. In Luke 1, verse 30, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the low or humble estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall be called me blessed. Verse 51, He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Sharp contrast between Mary's low estate and the pride of their hearts. Now, it's not identified who their hearts are, what this pride is, but I've often wondered. Is it possible that what Mary faced when when Mary was chosen, with all the, all the young girls, all the young virgins in, in, in the land at the time, Mary was chosen. That was a big deal in, in, in Israel, a big deal. For centuries, they had been looking forward to the coming Messiah. And, 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 and every, every young girl dreamt that it would be she that would be delivering the Messiah. Don't you suppose, knowing human nature as we do, then it became obvious that Mary was the one chosen. Those friends that she had previously turned on her. Envy is such a cruel, cruel taskmaster. Isn't it possible that, that pride on their part got angry at Mary instead of being supportive? Jewish tradition suggested the Messiah would be born of a rich and noble family allowing the prince to establish his kingdom. The Pharisees and Sadducees had espoused such a thought, convincing themselves that the Messiah would be born of one of them, but Mary was not rich. We see a desperate cry against pride by a young lady named Hannah. After leaving her son, Samuel, with Eli in the tabernacle, Hannah prayed, Likely, with that adversary, Penina, in mind. In 1 Samuel 2, and verse 1, And Hannah prayed, saying, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord, mine horn is exalted in the Lord, my mouth is enlarged over mine enemies, because I rejoice in my salvation, thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God, Talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. I don't know, but it sure sounds an awful lot like Hannah had gone through such abuse, such ridicule by Penina, uh, Elkanah's co-wife. Well, Penina had been very fruitful and had many children, whereas Hannah had been barren, could not have children. And it was Penina's spiritual gift to criticize. <laughs> and oh, she let Hannah have it on a daily basis. But here, after God rewarded, blessed Hannah, what you see here is this amazing contrast, a desperate cry against pride in James 4, 6, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Giveth grace unto the humble. We need not fear when 
somebody becomes abusively proud, we need not fear. We need to realize that God gives grace, all the grace sufficient. We get into a workplace, and oh, it just becomes obnoxious in the workplace because those co-workers or that boss, that supervisor, so arrogant, so proud. But he giveth more grace. 1 Peter 5, 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Just hang on. Just hang on. In whatever situation you're in where you're finding the abuse of pride, perhaps that's a family situation. Perhaps you've got a brother or sister that's just arrogantly lording over you. Hang on. Hang on. What they don't realize is they've got God resisting them in time. One commentator writes, and is not this the master sin of this last and loose age of the world? When did pride ever more abound in city and country, in body and soul, in heart, head, hair, habit, in gestures, vestures, words, words and works? Pride abounds. I will not spend much time on it, but I found it a very intriguing chapter. I'm going to very quickly read in Psalm, Psalm chapter 10 that just takes and exposes pride so well. In Psalm 10, Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride doth, first of all, persecute the poor. The proud thinks himself better and often bullies less fortunate to show his superiority. Let them be taken in the devices that they've imagined. For the wicked, secondly, boasteth of his heart's desire. The proud freely speaks of his plans and desires as if God himself could not stop him. Next, and blesseth the covetous, whom the Lord abhorreth. You see, they think exactly opposite of how God thinks. God abhors the covetous. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. There's a matter of the will. He chooses. The proud will not seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts. There's your consequence of your decision. I'm not going to seek God, so God is not in my thoughts. His ways are always grievous. His way eventually ends in pain and suffering to himself and others, but his pride defends his course. He ends up in a mess, but he still defends himself. I'm right in what I did. Thy judgments are far above out of his sight. He's blinded to God's will and ways. He can't see. As for all his enemies, he puffeth at them. He pays his enemies no regard, making light of them, leaving him very vulnerable to attack. He saith in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be in adversity. He stubbornly refuses to change, believing he will escape catastrophe. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. It's vulgar in his words, insinuation and can't be trusted. Under his tongue, 
his mischief and vanity, tries to convince others he can be trusted in order that he can take advantage of them. Oh, you can trust me. He sitteth in the lurking places of the villages. In the secret places doth he murder the innocent. He places no value in life. He takes all he can, regardless of the hurt that he leaves. His eyes are privily set against the poor. He especially targets the defenseless. He lieth in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lieth in wait to catch the poor. He doth catch the poor when he draweth him into his net. He croucheth and humbleth himself that the poor may fall by his strong ones. He hath said in his heart, God hath forgotten. He hideth his face. He will never see it. His heart determines that God has forgotten him. God's not even looking, so he won't see me. Pride. It's out there. It's out there. Everywhere you go, it's out there. It's pride out there. I'm not overly worried about the pride that's out there. I'm more worried about the pride that starts to seep into here. And in one way or another, we're all affected. Since seminary. And just think back how crazy taking a test in seminary and these other most of the guys taking the test of time were either fellow pastors with me or or uh, or students and taking this big test and I had studied my head off for this test so I was ready for the test there's one of these tests that they give you a couple hours to take the test I don't remember how many questions but many of them are essay questions I hate essay questions so I rode and rode and rode, and God has cramped up in my hand as I could be, and I just put everything I could on that thing. I was so pleased. Finished my test. You know the next thing I did? I looked over to see how they did. I want to see how's my test look compared to the. Is, do I have more writing than they do? Do my answers look better than theirs? We get tests handed back. You put, you put the letter, a big red letter there, but then you put the paper on your desk, letter down. So I would watch. My classmates would take a look. I want to see what they got. And then I would just accidentally forget and leave my letter up so it could be seen. Stinking pride. Stinking pride. Is it possible that all the hours I went through preparing for that test, when I stand before the Lord, he's going to pull out that test. Wow, you got a good letter. He puts it in the fire and all burns up. A gourd had wound itself up around a lofty palm. In a few weeks, climbed it to the very top. How old mayest thou be? asked the newcomer. About a hundred years. About a hundred years and no taller? Only look, I have grown as tall as you in fewer days than you can count years. I know that very well, replied the palm. Every summer of my life a gourd has climbed up around me as proud as thou art. 
and as short-lived as thou wilt be. Pride. Thirdly, blasphemy. I've heard it, and perhaps you have too. Blasphemy. Oh, some of the vile things you hear when you say you're from the church. Oh, oh horrible, wicked, wicked things. I looked at this particular word up. It says this is what's going to be like in the end times. Perilous times, men will be blasphemers. Well, this particular word means to hurt with one speech, to speak evil of, to slander. Specifically, this was the word used of what the high priests needed in order to condemn Jesus. In Matthew 26, 59, Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. False witness. Slander. Interestingly enough, this, this is very similar to one of the devil's names. This word blasphemy here is very similar if you're looking into the, the, the Greek. One of the devil's names means slanderer, false accuser. Diabolos. 36 times the word diabolos is used in the Bible. And all but three times that word is translated devil. One of the three times in 1 Timothy 3.11, even so must their wives, speaking of deacons' wives, be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Now, if we're being true, to the original, we could supply that word this way. We could read it, Deacons' wives, even so, must their wives be grave, not devils. Sober, faithful in all things. Why? Because devil is a slanderer. In 2 Timothy 3.3, 3, without natural affection, this is talking about men in general in the last days, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, there's that word, diabolos, Incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. In the last days, men will be devils. And then the third time is found in Titus 2.3. The aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. So now this reference by Paul to Titus said, in, in giving counsel to how the older women, the more mature women, are to be in the church. They're not to be false accusers. They're not to be devils. Not given to much wine, teachers of good things. For blasphemy is a satanic trait of talking bad about others with the express purpose of bringing them hurt. I think I've told you this story. I shudder to think about it now. I don't think I've been in my position there at Illinois very long. And after telling the story, you'll wonder why I was still there after this. I was in the foyer before service and, and uh, people were coming in I don't remember the details I don't remember the topic I was just talking to somebody and I pulled them off there was just the two of us talking 
we start talking about somebody. And for some reason, I don't know why, but for this particular reason, for some reason, this particular person was not on my good list. And, and I just started talking negatively about this person. Now, it's just, just me and this other person. Nobody's going to hear. It's just me and the other person. Just telling them some bad things. And they were shaking their head like this. I was facing them. And their back was to the wall, looking out to the foyer. And I was looking at the wall. Oh, I was just chewing this person up, one down, one side down the other. Just really saying how bad this particular person was. And this person was agreeing with me. Until all of a sudden, I saw them stop agreeing, and I couldn't figure out why. They stopped agreeing, and it looked like they saw a ghost. And then I felt like, you know, you get this feeling. I felt like there was somebody behind me. I turned my head around to see the very person I had been talking about. They didn't say a word. They just walked away. Is I'm sorry sufficient to fix everything I said? <laughs> of course not. For in that moment, I became the devil. I became a slanderer. I destroyed a relationship that I don't know if it's healed even today. Because of this thing that the Bible says it's going to occur in the last days. One commentator writes, Blasphemy, it argues the highest ingratitude in the world for a man, like a mad dog, to fly in the face of his master who keeps and feeds him, and to use that heart and tongue which God made for his praise to the dispraise and disparagement of his creator, to load him with injuries, who every day loads us with his mercies, and to curse him who blesses us. What greater ingratitude. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers. Let's not be surprised when it happens out there, but let's do everything to make sure that the gates are strong keeping it out there. And on a daily basis, be willing to go before the Lord and keep our hearts right before Him. Let's not allow boasting, pride, blasphemy, slander to come in with these walls. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your love and blessing, and thank you for this warning and Lord, thank you for the sweet place we have here. And quite frankly, I'm preaching to the choir. Lord, I don't feel a need to purge these out of our folks. But once in a while, I think we just need to be, have, be reminded, Lord, to keep us doing the right things. And so, Lord, help our folks, I pray, to continue reflecting you. And we'll thank you for it. For we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.